Producer Michael Miracle here, and before we get into today's podcast, I'd like to quickly invite you to join the I Work For Him Nation. Being a part of the nation is all about being Jesus in your workplace, because you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. So, head to our website, iworkforhim.com, and click on the nation flag, then prayerfully consider joining the nation. We'd love for you to join us in this workplace movement. Thanks again for listening. Here's today's podcast. Thanks for tuning in to I Work For Him this afternoon as you tune with us here in Tampa Bay on AM. 570 and 910 and FM 102.1. But you can also listen to us every day online at letstalkfaith.com or iHeartRadio. Maybe you want to listen to the podcast each and every day. Just go to iTunes, subscribe to iWorkForHim, or go to iWorkForHim.com. That's what Martha would tell me to tell you. Go to iWorkForHim.com and just subscribe to the podcast there. And each and every day it can be delivered to your mailbox and you can listen to the day before show. However you listen to the show today, just know that we've prayed for you. Prayed that something we say today will cause you to dig deeper into your faith and to connect in what you hear on Sunday to what you do in your nine to five. Whatever that nine to five looks like. Because we need to remember that our workplace is our mission field. It is. It really is our mission field. But in that mission field, You and me have the privilege of being Jesus to people who will never meet Jesus in a church because they're not going. And sometimes it's our attitudes and our actions that draw attention to Christ. And sometimes it's our attitude and actions that draw people away from Christ. You know, we're all way too busy. But to most of us, our busyness is a badge of honor. We rush to do things all around us. The more we accomplish, quote unquote, the better we feel about ourselves. But what does God think? Is God a rushing God or an unhurried God? Does our leadership flow out of a deep relationship with God or the hurried, harried world that you and I live in? There is no question that the unhurried leader has deeper relationships all around and makes deeper impact for the kingdom long term. Today, we battle this topic with Alan Fadling as we talk about his latest book, An Unhurried Leader. Alan Fadling, welcome to I Work For Him. Hey, thanks. Nice to be with you. Thank you, Alan. Now, did I say your last name right? Yeah, you oh, got it right. Okay, we just want to make sure, because it's your show. <laughs> I want to make sure we're talking to the right guy. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. So you've, you've written this book, An Unhurried Leader, The Lasting Fruit of Daily Influence. I got to tell you, there were some word pictures that you drew in there using scripture. You draw them out. Of, I, I just, I loved it. It really made an impact because I'm a busy guy. I'm one of these guilty, hurried people. I mean, I've yeah. run 90 miles an hour. I've already had eight meetings today and a couple of radio shows. And it's, I'm a busy guy. And I understand as I get older, the more and more God is really impressed if I'll just shut up, sit down, be still, and listen. Yeah. Because that's. Well, it's. That's how yeah, I become no, an influencer. I, but what about you? I, yeah, no, I hear you. I uh, I always think it's important to to start with, you know, this unhurried leader. First of all, a lot of folks will hear a phrase like that and think, I don't think those two words belong in the same phrase. Uh, how in the world can you be a leader and and be unhurried? Unhurried sounds so uninvolved. It sounds like you're not getting much done, are you, if you're unhurried? But I always think there's a great deal of difference between busy and hurried. Busy, that's just a matter of calendar and to-do list. I mean, we're busy people, a lot of us. And Jesus was at times busy. You know, the crowds just kept coming. So busy isn't necessarily the problem. The challenge is hurry. See, busy is a matter of calendar. Hurry, that's a matter of soul. 
it's who I am when I'm doing all the things that I may be doing on any given day. All right, so let's let's make a picture of that. Before we go into this really good, that's a really great point, that busy is not the same as hurried. And maybe, hopefully my wife's listening. See, honey, we can be <laughs> busy and not be hurried. Okay, but what do you mean, though? Alan, draw me a picture of what that means, the difference between being busy but not hurried, or busy and yeah. hurried. I mean, we could draw the difference between busy and hurried. No, that's fair. Thanks. You know, so... Uh, the way I like to unpack it is, I think Jesus at times is busy, but I don't think Jesus is ever hurried. And so by that I mean, for example, Jesus always seems to have time to stop for people, no matter what he might be up to in terms of the work of that day. And, and another way to say that is that Jesus' work seems to always be focused on people. For me, when I get into a hurried mode, it increasingly feels like my work is a long list of things that may or may not involve people. But in reality, whatever my work is, at some point, it touches the lives of and it benefits people. So one of the ways I see unhurried leadership functioning is learning that people are what matter most in our days. And we're serving them. We're working alongside them. They might be our clients. They might be our friends. Do I have time to give them my attention? When I'm hurried, I don't. Uh, When I slow down to the pace of grace, to the pace of Jesus, I learn that that might be the very best way to give my time, use my time, invest my time in any given day. I love that. I'm going to have a new statement after today's show. I'm busy, but I'm not in a hurry. Oh, there you go. Uh, And because that's true. Okay, so... Let's just talk about the go right to the bottom line for people because you've written this book, An Unhurried Leader. And, and it's a book that, and again, in on iWorkRim, we've defined leaders as anybody who has an influence over at least one more person, which pretty much yeah. makes all of us leaders. Why is it important to the kingdom, to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why is it important that we become unhurried leaders, unhurried people? Yeah. Well, I think the main reason is, um, you may be able to identify with this, but I've had busy, full days that, unfortunately, were also hurried, where I got a gob of things checked off on my list, or I packed a lot of appointments into my calendar. But I can sometimes get to the end of that day and kind of find myself asking, did that matter? Um, Did everything I got done, will that matter to me five years from now, or 100 years from now, or 10,000 years from now? And so one of the reasons Unhurry becomes so important is uh, I tend to get better things done when I slow down inside. I see, for example, like Jesus does, I begin to have an eye for the things that the Father might, in fact, be inviting me to do in a given day. Rather than, I'll just be honest, sometimes on my hurried days, I've decided there's 10 things I need to do for God. I'd be happy if He'd be willing to sort of throw a little blessing on it as I go run and do it, probably mostly unaware that he's with me while I do it. When I unhurry, when I slow down, I realize, you know what, I could actually engage a busy day walking with God. I actually could do that, and that might be the most fruitful thing I do. It might actually be more productive than the frantic, anxious, hurried way that I've sometimes functioned. Well, and you made a kind of a... a a connection between somebody who's running around, rushing around, 
kind of going crazy with somebody who's a control freak. Are you a control freak? Is that why you're always rushing around? That's kind of, as you started the book out, I kind of thought maybe that's that's a pretty neat connection between being a control freak and somebody who is hurried. Yeah, well, maybe I could say I'm a recovering. Okay, you know. that's fair. <laughs> control freak. I, I think a lot of us who would describe ourselves as leaders are tempted to think that the main thing we need to do is get control of stuff. And I understand the impulse, but Christian leaders realize there's actually someone in control already. I may not feel like I'm in control, but the fact that the one we follow is called Lord means that he has a level of oversight, and if you want to use the language of control, see, what energizes my grasping for control is usually anxiety. And I've had to ask myself more recently, you know, Maybe maybe Jesus is right about anxiety. Maybe it doesn't actually add to the value of what I do. Maybe it doesn't actually make me an inch taller or make my life a year longer. Maybe it actually always does detract, because anxiety is that sort of attempt to get control of things, but usually with not much of an awareness that God's already there and already at work and already caring. Well, you wrote, you know, this is a paraphrase, but you wrote this in your book, that the world says the one who hurries gets the most done, but spiritual wisdom speaks that the one who hurries delays the things of God. Is that true? Yeah, what I've, sadly, what I've learned is there's sometimes I'm overdoing stuff that God ends up having to undo, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that. But, you know, I think there's a lot of stories in Scripture where leaders took initiative on impulse and the minute they did, they realized, oh, no, that wasn't good. <laughs> and I sadly have done the same. And so that's what I'm trying to get at. You know, we, we think we're doing something that would honor God or bless God or serve God's purposes. But if we haven't listened well, if it's not growing out of a continually deepening friendship with God, it's very possible that I'll find myself running ahead and there are just too many biblical stories and historical stories about that kind of running ahead being a problem instead of a benefit. Yeah, there's one guy's running ahead of God, Abraham's little whole thing. We're living that out still 3,500 years later. All right, we're talking today with Alan Fadling about his book, An Unhurried Leader. Are you rushing around so you can listen to the show today? Sit back, relax, realize that God's in control, and your hurriedness could cause God to have to undo something you're already doing. That's right. You and I, we're all leaders. Everybody listening to the show is a leader if you have influence over one person. Alan Fadling has written this book, An Unhurried Leader, The Lasting Fruit of Daily Influence. So often, Alan, we find ourselves very busy and also very hurried. But you're saying that, well, what you said in the first segment, I liked it. That it's okay to be busy, but just not in a hurry. Why? Yeah, so I think, you know, what I would say about busy is, look, Jesus said he gave, he gave us a yoke. He said about that yoke that it's easy, it's well-fitting. Not easy in the sense that it's simple, but easy in the sense that it fits well. I think when I get into hurried modes, the, the yoke can start feeling heavier than Jesus meant it to feel. And the other thing about the reason that yoke fits so well is I'm not carrying it alone. Hurry puts me in a tunnel vision place where I think I'm doing all this stuff alone, where in fact, I was always invited to do the work I do and to have the influence I have with him. 
it's it's just one more way to cultivate this amazing relationship into which I've been invited. Working with him is just one way to do it. When I get into work for him mode, then it's like he has, he's at the home office about four states away, and I'm frantically trying to get something done for him. There's not as much of a sense of relationship or connection. That's what makes it fruitful. That's the language of a vine and a branch and a branch that stays connected, and it bears much fruit as a result. So let's just draw some pictures for people. Like, let's talk about how unhurried leaders are different. Now, this is right on the page 16 of your book. So literally mm. a guy could take the rest of the show and just talk about these five facets, which we won't. We'll try to cover more. But yeah. these are some really big points. So what are those five ways that unhurried leaders are different? Well, it grows out of a verse you probably would never quote as a leadership verse. It's the one in Isaiah 30 where Isaiah says, hey, look, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Now, those four words, repentance, rest, quietness, trust, uh, they don't sound like leadership words. But salvation and strength, those really are leadership categories. Salvation says there's something we're aiming at. There may need to be some rescue. There may be a problem that needs to be solved. There's a, there's a way to realize uh, what God's given us to do that looks like salvation or strength. Well, I don't think anyone's going to argue that strength is a leadership category. The problem is how we define them. And so in terms of these uh, four, rather than fill their lives with noise, unhurried leaders make time for silence in which to listen. That's the quietness. Rather than allow anxiety to drive them, unhurried leaders learn to depend on a reliable God who invites them to join a very good kingdom work that's already well underway. That's the trust. Uh, Rather than tackle self-initiated projects under the guise of doing them for God, unhurried leaders humbly orient themselves to the leader of all, learning to take their cues from him. That's how I see repentance. And then rest comes when unhurried leaders realize that they they need to rest as hard as they work. That rest isn't just a negative category, it's a positive category. And then finally, rather than measuring the productivity of their lives only in terms of what they do, unhurried leaders understand the importance of certain things they don't do. And one of the ways I've been putting that lately, as I've been working with groups of leaders, is leadership is not just about our activities. It is. But leadership is also about our receptivities, about our listening, about our enjoying who God is, taking in what God is always giving, rather than always seeing leadership as what I'm giving out. You, know, you just said something there that, that is powerful, that I am almost positive nobody ever gets taught in leadership school. Pretty sure. Well, like, yeah. like unhurried leaders understand. This is what I want you to comment on. Unhurried leaders understand the importance of certain things they don't do. Yeah. So maybe a great biblical place to see this is, you know, in Luke 5, verse 15, you've got one of these verses where basically the crowds just keep coming and Jesus meets them as a shepherd uh, to bring healing or to bring teaching or to bring deliverance or whatever it is the people need. And, and it's a long day. It's a busy day. The very next verse, verse 16, is the one that says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. I know a lot of leaders who wouldn't see that as a strategic element of their leadership plan, but it was a very strategic rhythm in the way Jesus brought kingdom influence everywhere he went. 
So that's something of the not do. You know, there was a day where instead of healing and teaching and bringing deliverance to people who needed that, there was a day, and, and that, that verse says, often when Jesus stepped away from all of the work, the tasks, the activities, to practice a kind of receptivity to the Father who had said at the beginning, you know, you're my son, I love you, I'm so pleased with you. And Jesus first heard those words when he had really no resume to speak of. He was just starting his active public ministry. I just think we work better when we work from recognition rather than working for it. When we work from a sense of being treasured and being loved rather than trying to work for those things. That's what I think the doing and the not doing, the the receptivity and the activity sort of looks like in real life. Well, let's just bring a little bit of positive. I mean, not that this is a positive, but we're learning. And sometimes learning concepts like this is... It's a little painful, especially for, <laughs> especially, I don't know. I don't know about you, Alan, but well, let me just, let's just go back. Let's ask, it's, it's about you. D- is this you? Were you the hurried leader? Is that why you wrote this book? Because you've learned how to be unhurried? Yeah. Uh, most people write books because they need them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so and, this is for you. This I'm, is counseling I'm for no you. Different. Yeah, I'm no different. I, I, the very first line of my first book, An Unhurried Life, goes like this. I'm a recovering speed addict. I'm not talking about a drug. I'm talking about my soul. And so I still see myself as somebody who is in recovery. There are ways in which my soul continues to revert to sort of unhealthy, hurried habits like, you know, drivenness, like anxiety, like trying to make everybody around me happy or any number of other things that accelerate my inner life, my soul. And so, yeah, I wrote both of these books, the one we're talking about, An Unhurried Leader, from a place of personal journey. You know, I I started in ministry. I remember a season where I was a full-time local church college pastor. I was a full-time student at a large Southern California seminary. I was newly married. I'm sad to say my priorities were probably in about that order. And I was measuring myself by all the things I did. So if I am what I do, and this is how I saw myself, Well, then if I do more, guess what? I am more. At least that's how the formula works, except there's a certain trap built into that. How much do I need to do to feel like I've been faithful, that I've been good, that I've been fruitful? And the answer to that is is really, well, a little more than I've done so far. And pretty soon you just run out of gas. And for some people that becomes burnout. For some people it becomes disillusionment. For some people... It involves falling to some temptation to try and escape your crazy drivenness for even just a few minutes. So, yeah, those are places that I've had to continue to be in recovery from. And what part does your wife play in helping you recover? Well, what's nice, uh, I can honestly say I am blessed with a wife who helps me see the continuing value, value of living a more unhurried way. It's kind of how she's wired, but uh, we've had to wrestle with this together. You know, we started a new nonprofit based on these two books just a year and a half ago, and we're doing that together. And if there's a job in this organization, one of the two of us has it. <laughs> and so that can make for busy days. And so we have to keep asking, you know, is this thing going to succeed because we get frantically, you know, hurried day after day? Or is this something actually that God's invited us into, that God's very much involved in and actually working on, 
and inviting us to join him in a very fruitful work that's already rolling. Well, that has been something we've learned how to do together, and uh, it's been really uh, encouraging not to be trying to be in recovery alone. Well, and I think there are some cultures on our planet that live this unhurried leader. They, they, they promote it, that it's okay mm-hmm. to be an unhurried leader. But in our country, this is not a concept that is respected. And in most of our churches, this is not a concept that, are respect, that is respected. It, we honor craziness. Yeah, you know, what's really interesting about that is that uh, a lot of leaders around the world, especially in developing world countries, were trained by us. And they may have had a culture where hurry wasn't as endemic, wasn't as uh, hardwired into the way they do things, but they learned how to be leaders. It's almost like our hurry was a virus that we sort of passed along without ever even meaning to. And so whereas their culture is a little less hurried, their way of seeing leadership is in many ways as hurried as ours. It's a it's a great challenge. All right, Alan, I want to really dig deep in this because this is something that, I mean, as you said, uh, you said our hurry was like a virus to the world? Yeah. That was really kind of, one, that was kind of harsh. I don't know. It's so it was, it's, it's painful, isn't it? <laughs> it I mean, is I don't terrible. Like it. This was an insight that a good friend of mine had, um, you know, that we didn't realize as we were bringing the good news to other cultures that we were bringing some of our own culture with us. And there's a way in which hurry is deeply embedded in the way we do what we do. Um, now, there are holy versions of hurry. You know, if, if you got a two-year-old reaching up to a, a flame on the stove, you don't waltz your way over to the stove to, to deal with that. You hurry it up, you get your tail over there, and you solve it. And there are times with quick response and, and being very uh, quick to act is very important. But you can even do that from an unhurried soul as opposed to living energized by anxiety. So what I find is that a lot of times as I travel internationally, one of the things I'm always wanting to do is help these leaders in other developing world areas realize, you know, Jesus is the one who sets the pace for life and for leadership. And Jesus does what he does at the pace of grace. He does it at the pace of friendship and fellowship with the Father. He does it at the pace of relationship. And the thing is, relationships have a way of being inefficient if you do them well. They take time. <laughs> Wait a minute. And Say that again. That was really good. That was tweetable right here. <laughs> well, it's, it's the fact that relationships, and to broaden the category, love, which I think is the great commandment if I read the Bible right, that is a rather inefficient dynamic. Now, it's fruitful, it's productive, it's, it's effective to love, love God and to love our neighbor. But I'll tell you what, to do that well, very hard to say to someone, hey, I really want to love you. I got two and a half minutes. Relationships are inefficient. That is fantastic. Because it's so true. If you look at what is wrong with the church today, the body of Christ, is that we are all so hurried, we're busy and we're hurried, that we lack relationships. And so the the fruit, the, the light of our relationships isn't impacting our world. We've got nothing to show them that is different than what they have. And so they're not attracted. But if we had depth of relationships, that would be attractive, wouldn't it? Oh, it sure would be. I mean, I've been reading the Gospel of John, and I've been coming through those chapters in the upper room, and 
One of the lines Jesus says is, they will know you are my disciples if you love one another. That's pretty staggering. That's the sign, he says, that will enable the world to look in and see that we are followers, his followers. We are like him. We're under his authority. We're under his leadership. The way they'll know is we love each other. And if if I'm right about relationships being inefficient, then maybe the things we put highest on our list of what we need to do as Christian leaders aren't the things Jesus would put up there. Maybe somehow what he would put up at the top of the list is arrange your life so that you can love God well, you can love your neighbor well. That might be the most productive way to do what you do, and that might involve reorganizing how you live your life and plan your days. You, you mean, there's so much about this, and I just love. That's why this book, "An Unhurried Leader" by Alan Fadling, is a book you need to get. It is because we all are suffering from this. And God is not in a hurry. If you've ever really yeah. been, if, if God has ever laid a call on your life, you know that he's not in a hurry to fulfill it. He, he lays a call on it, and then he usually lets it germinate for a little while. He's not in a hurry. Mm. God's not in a hurry. Yeah. I, I, mean, I love it. So this is what you, you, you said this in your book, and I had to quote this. You said that, quote, hurried leaders are quick to do and slow to be. Quick to speak, but slow to listen. Quick to teach and slow to learn. Quick to lead but slow to let God lead them beside still waters. Why is this plague so rampant in, let's just say, our country as we yeah. lead? Why is, why? Yeah, no, it's it's a fair question, I think. So if you think about all those phrases that talked about being you know quick to, they were all activity categories, quick to do, quick to speak, quick to teach, quick to lead. And as I said earlier, we have a tendency to think of our influence mostly in terms of stuff we do, our activities. And we fail to realize that one of our greatest sources of influence is who we are, and that's about receptivities. That's about relationships. Those things can't be hurried. You might be able to do a task three minutes faster than somebody else, but when it comes to relationships, that's the wrong ruler altogether. And our problem is that we tend to assume that we are what we do. We are our activities. And in reality, our activities are always the fruit of something deeper. The, the deeper something is who we are in relationship with God, who we are as branches connected to a vine, who we are drawing what we need from another who's always there, always with us. And so those receptivities, that welcoming the generosity of God, that taking in the goodness that God is always extending to us, that then becomes the abundant and rich place from which I can do all kinds of amazing things, but I do them from a place of friendship with God, with a sense of God right there in the middle of it. And right there, the fruit of the Spirit, things like peace and joy and patience and gentleness will be abundant and not thin. Have you, Alan Fadling, as we talk about your book, An Unhurried Leader, have you ever studied the cultural context of this hurry? Have you ever studied the, I mean, why we as a nation are so defined by our hurry? Like, what is it about our nation that caused us to be that the virus, you know, spreader across the world of hurry? Yeah, there, there are a few dynamics I think you can unpack. You know, there's one dynamic, which is, I think, one of the great gifts of our culture. You know, the, 
the way in which we've taken in the Protestant work ethic. I think that's a gift. I think that's a strength. I think it is a good thing, and I think we overdo it. Just like any strength, you know, strengths can, and now I'm going to use another uncomfortable word, they can become idols. They can become the focus of our lives instead of God being the focus of our lives. So I think that's one of the dynamics. It's just another way of saying, if we are what we do, then the more we do, the more we are. But if we are who God says we are, then what we do is a fruit of that. That's a very different dynamic. I think another reality that is true for our culture, but true for a lot of other cultures, too, is we've got all of these wonderful technologies that make it possible for us to get more done in less time. And there was a time 50 years ago where the experts were saying, oh, my goodness, what will we do with all the leisure we end up with when we get our jobs done, not in 40 hours, but like 10 hours? What, What will we do with all this free time we have? Well, I don't know about you, but that's not the world I'm worried about 50 years later. What I have now is a world where my 40 hours a week has has become compressed, and there's a density to it, and sometimes that density can feel like pressure. Sometimes that density can feel overwhelming. Sometimes that density can feel anxious. When I talk about unhurried, what I'm saying is, you know what? Jesus made space to stop, to rest, to listen to the Father to pay attention to people. Now, we're to, you know, his influence is still here, right? 2,000 years later, we're having a radio conversation about him. There are a whole lot of other busy Romans of that day that nobody's talking about anymore. So my point is always the way Jesus does what he does, the way Jesus goes about his life and his work, watch that. Figure out how to follow that. The following him is not just doing things he does. It is, or saying things he says. It is that, too. But it's learning how to live the way he lives, his way. And my argument is that one of the ways to describe that way is unhurried. You know, I I agree, and I'm learning this. As I get older, I'm seeing that. But you said in the book that prayer made you a better leader, not worse. How did prayer impact you as a leader in order to become an unhurried leader? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think part of it goes to when when, when we hear the word prayer— we probably have sort of a fixed idea of what that means. For me in the past, it's, it's sometimes meant, and I don't think this is what the Scriptures mean it to mean, but for me it sometimes meant a sustained di- a monologue that I pointed at God, consisting of what bothered me and what I wanted God to do, and then, amen, I'm done. A mentor of mine said, you know, you've got to remember that prayer is not just something you do. Prayer is someone you're with. So when I talk about how prayer has enriched my life as a leader, what I'm saying is learning how to cultivate this relationship with God that the Christian life is all about, that we've always said it's about, cultivating that intentionally, prayer being a label for that dynamic, the kind of conversational, interactive relationship that we're invited to, that makes me a better leader. Wow, the lasting fruit of daily influence. I think more than anything in this book, what I want you to hear is that relationships are built, but they're not built in a hurry. And that's what Alan is trying to communicate, that we need to model what Jesus modeled. And I want to give you a copy of this book, An Unhurried Leader, 877-943-9673. 
877-943-9673. If you are listening and you find yourself in a hurry, if you find yourself too busy for the people that God puts in your path, this is a book you need to read. 877-943-9673. Alan Fadling, as you wrote this book, An Unhurried Leader, how convicting was this for you and for those that were reading it? Because you have editors and proofreaders and things like that. How many people wrote you and like, Alan, I don't want to I don't want to proofread your book. That's gonna, <laughs> it's gonna tick me off. Yeah. Well, like I said, you know, most authors write the book they need. At least that's been my experience. And uh there were a lot of points where I got stuck uh, in the writing of it because I realized I was I was meddling in my own uh need for recovery and i was i was kind of resistant and i was wrestling with how true is this you know is how true is it that following jesus unhurried way would actually be better than all of the assumptions that i bring into my work that are sometimes more rooted in anxiety than peace you know more rooted in what will everyone think instead of rooted in what what does god think what does god say more rooted in you know, sort of trying to control things rather than realizing I live in a kingdom that's well under control. Jesus is not frantic today about his kingdom. So how do we how do we unhurry ourselves? How do we unhurry our thoughts? And 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 I love how you said right before the break, we're talking about how prayer impacted you as a hurried leader to become unhurried. How do we unhurry our thoughts? Because that's what I find when I'm praying. I find I got too much on my list to pray about other people, things yeah. that are going through, but I'm in a hurry. I know that I've only got a half hour or I only have an hour. I, I find myself in a hurry. How do we unhurry our thoughts? Is there like a secret formula? Yeah, a secret formula. Well, <clears throat> I can't. Come on, we're running out of time. Be hurry, hurry it up. Come on. Hurry. I'm just kidding. Yeah, here's the seven magical points for, you know. No, I think part of it is. <laughs> I like that sarcasm. You know, a, That's good. Uh, you know, to start with a sense of, first of all, would unhurrying my thoughts help me? Or am I attached to a frantic, racing way of thinking that I'm not really willing to give up? I think you have to start there. Would slowing down a little bit so I can see things at less of a blur, would slowing down so I can see people as people and not as either obstacles to what I'm trying to accomplish or resources to use, as I'm trying to accomplish, which is an incredibly thing-oriented way to work instead of a people-oriented way. But then when you decide that, that, yeah, I'd like to move in that direction, then you have to start asking yourself, what will it look like to open up some little spaces here and there? Or instead of doing something else, I even take five minutes in a busy day to stop and say what? To say thank you, for example. Thank you is an unhurried practice. Usually we're running on to the next thing that needs to get done. But even just a moment to say, ah, Lord, thanks for how you've been with me so far. That'll slow you down in a holy and healthy way. Or taking a moment in the car to pray in the sense of being with God, not in the sense of listing 10 things you want God to do. It's all of the different ways we can open up little porous spaces in our dense days to remember that the biggest reality going on is not all the stuff I'm doing, but the all the stuff God's doing. And I can learn in a lot of different little ways to wake up more and more to that reality. And, and it does, it takes time. I mean, this is a mentoring kind of thing. This is a discipleship thing. It takes some time. Yeah. 
I, I love, this is probably the thing that touched me most about your book. You wrote in there, and I don't remember which page it was on, but I, I remember getting it out of the book, so I know it's yours. It, but it was huge. Unhurried leadership gives sufficient attention to the process whereby God fills me to overflowing. It is the fruit of overflow rather than the pouring out of the last few drops of whatever we have on our own to give. When we are unhurried, leaders abiding in the true vine, we lead from divine fullness in order to bless the emptiness around us, rather than leading from emptiness as we look for fullness somewhere other than in the one who gave his life. How often do you see leaders leading from emptiness instead of fullness? Yeah, well, sadly, I've been that leader too many times. Um, I think it happens a lot. I think a way I would summarize what happens is, you know, Jesus said uh, in John 7, are you thirsty? Come to me. If you trust me, it'll be as though rivers of living water flow from within you. And so the amazing thing Jesus does there is he says, bring me a water deficit, thirst. I will transform it into a river of living water abundance. And I think what happens for leaders, and again, position or just in our relationships, we bring our thirst to our work rather than bringing our thirst to Jesus. If we learn how to slow down a little and bring our thirst for recognition, for meaning, for purpose, uh, for value, for whatever it is our souls are thirsty for, if we learn how to bring that to Jesus, we would then have an abundance to bring to our work. So instead of needing the work to go some exact way to feel good about it, I'd already come to it from a place of peace and well-being and abundance, and I'd have extra to pour into it. I do amazingly better work from a place of peace than I do from a place of anxiety. But sadly, anxiety has often driven my days uh, in a very hurried way. Can you think of a current leader, somebody that's actually of notoriety, that leads from a place of overflowing as opposed to leaving from a pl- leading from a place of emptiness. Yeah, you know, I, I'm going to probably resist naming a particular name. I might be able to think of some, but I'm going to do the Sunday school thing. I'm going to say, I think actually seeing Jesus live this way is what we need. Um, there are a lot of ways in which I think there are leaders I know of who make space in their schedule to enjoy God, who make space to listen well and aren't just frantically running here and there. But I think the reason they've been able to cultivate that kind of way of life is they've, they've come to the realization that it's not their own empire that they're building. Um, they're a part of an even bigger kingdom than maybe their organization. And that's part of what's helped them slow down a bit. It is that that word picture that you that you drew in there to, to lead from overflowing after having mm-hmm. spent time with God as opposed to leading from emptiness. I mean that that is a picture of the peace that Jesus led from. I mean because he was yeah. always quick to very much fill up his tank with his heavenly Father, with our heavenly Father. It is something that so many of us, most of us, most Christ followers are never going to experience because they won't take the time. That takes time. Yeah. yeah. It takes time, and it takes trust. The reason we don't want to stop and make a little bit of space here and there, like, for example, you know, to find a chunk of a day, not just 30 minutes, though that's wonderful, 30 minutes, God bless, you know, that that gift, but to take a chunk of a day sometime and say, you know, Lord, I'd like to follow your example of withdrawing to a lonely place to be in the presence of your Father. 
I don't know how to do that. And I'm afraid if I do that, I might not get something important done. That's where trust comes in, because Jesus lived this way. And I think part of his invitation to us to follow is, you know, I actually came to live this life, this human life, in a way you could watch and you could try on for yourself. He's he's actually quite good at what he does. Mm-hmm. And if you're talking about leadership, you could follow him. You could follow his way. So when he withdraws, you could decide, I'm going to try that on. It scares me. I'm nervous. But I could try that as a part of my being a disciple. Alan Fadling, you've got a website, unhurriedliving.com, where people can get a copy of your book, both books. What else will they find out there on that website, unhurriedliving.com? Well, you know, we have a weekly uh, blog post that we put out in the, in the spirit of these themes. We've also, uh, actually just this morning, was re- recording another podcast episode. That's something that they can take advantage of. You can find that on iTunes or other uh, podcast sources. So there's a number of resources we give away that we hope will help people follow the genius of Jesus' unhurried way. And how, when you look back 20 years to today, how how have you done becoming more unhurried? You know, what I love, I, for example, I had dinner the other night with a, an old friend. When I met him, he was a college freshman at a local school, met Jesus, started to walk with Jesus, now it's been almost 30 years. He still is. What I love is Jesus said he, he chose and appointed us to go and bear fruit that lasts. And fruit that lasts always involves people. Mm. That has made a huge difference for me. I love that. Fruit that lasts always involves people. Alan Fadling, thanks so much for coming on I Work for Him today, for sharing your book, An Unhurried Leader. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you, Jim. It was great. Make sure you check out Alan online at unhurriedliving.com, unhurriedliving.com. Are you hurried? You need to get this book. Just email me, jim at iworkforhim.com. Check out unhurriedliving.com. Make sure you do it this weekend. Get in a hurry. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower. My workplace, it's my mission field, but ultimately, I work for him.